Sorry. I forgot to get dressed. There we go. Now we're sort of ready. <coughs> Good to see you all here this morning. It's uh, nice to see summer is continuing. It's nice and warm. It's a beautiful day. And hopefully you get out to enjoy it at some point. Um, let's, uh, let's look to the Lord for a moment in, in prayer before we start. Father, thank you. This morning we can be here. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Savior. And uh, we thank you, Lord. This world is, is filled with many struggles and many battles. But Lord, we call upon you as the battle belongs to you. Lord, strengthen us for the battle. Strengthen us for the day. Strengthen us in the Lord Jesus that we may walk in joy with him. And uh, Lord, we just look to you this morning that you would guide us, our thoughts, and as we share uh, at this time from the scriptures, Lord, may you speak to our hearts that we may um, be affected in a way that we are changed if we are believers to be more like our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus. And if there's any here this morning who don't know the Lord Jesus, Lord, you know every heart in this building. You know every heart that will be watching this online, either today or later. You know every heart of the people who will listen at some point, even for a few minutes on SoundCloud. And if any who do not know you hear your word, may it impact them and they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is kind of different, so I'm not sure how it works, but do I still do the pushy button thing? And, it, and I think it works, and then, but you guys changed the slide at the back or something. When you, can you see me do this? So, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, here this morning, um, kind of been, um, anybody know what a pinch hitter is? A pinch hitter is the guy who's on the, sitting on the bench, and they need somebody to go in and hit because the guy who's supposed to go up and hit, this is baseball, it's baseball season, the guy can't, for whatever reason, or they don't want him to, 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 to swing the bat, so what the coach used to do is come along and he'd pinch the guy, that's where it comes from, he'd pinch the guy, usually on the backside, and that meant get up there and bat, so that's what's happened here, so um, I thought, what am I going to do? Uh, I wasn't quite sure. I, I don't have enough prepared on um, the next message concerning the lamb. Uh, last week, somebody was at my home, and I had an opportunity to share my testimony with them, and I thought, maybe I will do that here. Here, I feel very awkward doing this. I might as well tell you right now, my hands are sweaty, because I, I, I don't mind preaching from the scriptures, but I really find it very hard to talk about something very this, this personal. Um, so, and I, I feel like you can go into, it, it feels to me, we had a guy used to come to our office, I won't mention his name because everything is going to be broadcast to the world, but you'd hear him in the boardroom and he would just be mouthing the whole time. And my boss, I'd never heard this, this expression before in my life, he says, he is the worst, most shameless self-promoter I've ever heard in my life. And I'm thinking, oh, I so don't want to be like the guy named Roland. <laughs> I really don't want to do that. 
So what I want to do in sharing my testimony, I want to be a, price, a Christ promoter. I want to promote Jesus Christ to you. Um, there is a book that's on my shelf. I confess I haven't read it. I believe it's Tozer. It's called The Pursuit of God. I believe it's Tozer wrote that. Is, yes. And I think I started it, and it's, it's among all the, it's in the pile of started books. That would be my bookshelf uh, that I haven't finished. Um, so I could call this, subtitle it, The Pursuit by God. I was not pursuing God. I did not for 21, 22 years of my life pursue God. I tried, but I could not say that I pursued. But he pursued me. Uh, and I look back on it, and I think how he pursued me um, all of my life. Um, it's the, a testimony is the greatest story you can tell. It's your own life. Um, but it tells the greatest story of the greatest one. Um, Greg Laurie calls it uh, the one-minute message. And if you know me, this will not be a one-minute message. Nowhere near. <laughs> so um, actually, somebody is going to speak in November, and they're going to give their testimony. And I'm looking forward to that. And I, I want to encourage the, the, the men who speak. The ladies have done this at their fellowship. Becky Michaels gave her testimony at the last one. I would want to encourage the men who, who have an opportunity on the platform, just consider giving your testimony. Well, let's see how it goes for me. If you throw tomatoes at me, then don't do it. But I'd love to hear John Wells' testimony or David Hansen's testimony. I'd like to hear sometime, I'd like to hear Lordwin's testimony. I'd love to hear the, those, the, the whole life story kind of put together. But it really is not my life story. It's the story of Jesus Christ and how it intersected my life. Three verses I want to read to start. The first verse is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls, Romans 10, verse 13, just a couple of verses down, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is repeated three times in the scriptures, I believe, that verse. And then finally, these verses from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, uh, among, them, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of, your, not of yourselves, <coughs> excuse me, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's important to remind yourself of that. There is nothing that I can say in and of myself that I have done to be able to stand here this morning to speak with you. There is nothing. 
It is all of him. My whole future is in verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show this, what? How great I am? What I've done? My works? No. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's what is going to be coming in the future for us. So how did it all begin for me? Well, obviously, the same as everybody else, I was born. But I grew up in Sydney, as you probably know. If not, you know it from my accent. <clears throat> and I put this verse up. It says, in, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that is in you as well. Now, I didn't have a grandmother Lois. I had a grandmother, oh, Amelia, but they called her Millie. But I did have an Aunt Lois, and she's the one standing here. These two ladies, I grew up in a, in a home that was not um, a Christian home in that my parents were not believers at the time. But my dad came from a Christian home. My parents respected the gospel. My, my parents wanted me to hear the scriptures. They wanted me to actually to know the Lord. But they did not attend. They did not uh, attend church. They did not, the Bible was not read in our home. My parents were not saved when I was growing up. But I had these two aunts, still living. They're in their 90s. Uh, still very precious to us. And they took me to Sunday school and to gospel meetings from the time I was this little guy's age. <laughs> from the time I was a baby, this little guy's age. I probably knew John 3.16 when I was Murdoch's age. <clears throat> and by the time I was a teenager, I knew much of the Bible very, very well. But I didn't believe I was not a believer. And I tried. I tried many times. I would say prayers at nighttime that God would preserve my life. I would say our Father, which was not something that I would grow up with saying in the Gospel Hall in Sydney in this building here. I would ask God to preserve my life. I would ask God, would you save me? but it was kind of ritualistic sort of stuff. And, and I was trying really hard. And I remember sitting in gospel meetings and saying, I know I need this, I want this, but I'm trying so hard. How can I, how can I be saved? I want to be saved. I want to, like, I, I want to believe this, but I can't. How do I believe? I don't know. A light came on for me a couple of years ago when Ray Hanna was here. He said, I was trying, he said, of him, but I'm tr I was trying to put faith in my faith rather than faith in the object of faith, which is the Lord Jesus. I was so caught up in trying to figure out how to believe, trying to figure out how to have faith, that I got my eye off Christ and my eye was on faith itself. And I could not muster up enough faith. That might not make sense to you, but that's, that's what it was for me. I wanted the security of salvation. I wanted my friends more than salvation, though. I knew I could not have the lifestyle that went with my friends. 
that I was do, living and doing, which I really, really liked at the time, and call myself a believer. So then what happened? February 4th. Oh, I guess when you do this, then animation doesn't work. And uh, February 4th, 1974, very important day in, in history. Patricia Hearst was kidnapped in the U.S. Now, I'm looking at most of you here, and you have no idea who it is. Randolph Hearst was the largest publisher in the U.S. He was the publisher of many, many, many books, like uh, or, uh, magazines and periodicals and papers. He was, the, he was like the king. He was probably a billionaire long before anybody was a billionaire. And his daughter, Patty, Patricia, was kidnapped. I think she was, yeah, she was 19. Kidnapped on the night of February the 4th, 1974. On that night, I was taken away to a different prison for the next seven years. On that night... That man that you see on your right, he's a Newfoundlander. His name is Bert Joyce. Some of you may know him. Janice, I don't see Janice here, but, and I don't see Bob and Bertha here, so maybe none of you know him. Bert Joyce was a, was a, a fiery preacher, but he was a gentleman. His hands were bigger than two of mine put together. And one night, I sat there and listened to Bert Joyce preach, and he said... Okay, I don't remember anything else he said, but I remember this one thing. He read this verse. He said, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And he closed his message by saying, now I want you to go home tonight. Put your head on the pillow. And you had, if, I only, if I could only imitate his voice, I can't because it, I don't have the depth of, of volume to project it out, but... He says, go home tonight, put your head on the pillow, and say to yourself, I'm condemned already, and then go to sleep. As a 14-year-old boy, I shook. I just shook in my seat. How do I do that? I, I stopped him. I said, I, I got to talk to you. And we, and we sat, kind of like where Fola is, up the front here, in that little gospel hall, we sat in, in, in a chair, and he shared the scriptures over and over again. He says, can you understand? I said, no. He said, I'm going to read you a verse. John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Where are you in that verse? First half, last half. I said, last half. Okay, let's go through it again. John 3, 16, and, and a number of verses, number of verses from Romans. And he went through it and through it and through it with me. He says, where are you now? I said, I'm in the last part of that verse. He said, you just need to believe. I said, I don't know how to believe. He said, well, okay, let's keep talking. At the same time, there was another man who will remain nameless at the back of the little hall. It's almost a chapel. Uh, he, he, at the back, and, and, and he was praying, which I appreciated. But he was praying like, <sighs> every time I'd say, I don't get it. And then, I, then he'd ask me again, he said, David, are you in the first half of the verse or the last half of the verse? It's the last half. And I'd hear, <sighs> from the back. 
Then finally, the man came up. He was exasperated. Bible twice the size of this one. He says, it's plain. Why don't you get it? Like that in my face. 14-year-old boy. Terrified. I I, I, I get it now. This is what I said. I I get it now. Good. Good. If you get it, you're saved. I said, okay, I guess I'm saved. I walked out of there stepping on my heart because it was in my shoes. It was, I knew, I knew I had nothing. I knew it was fake. I knew now that I had to go tell everybody that this happened to me when it didn't happen to me. The seed was snatched away almost in a moment. It was, it was the weirdest thing. I, was, I felt like this, the, 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 the work that this man was doing, that the, that the word that was penetrating my heart that was working on me just disappeared in a moment, in that outburst. I, I tell you this to, because we want to share Christ, but we want to be godly when we do it. We want to be gentle. These are souls that we speak to. These are people who are struggling in soul. And I, I don't want to be used to snatch away seed. And I felt that seed was snatched away at that time. So I had a false profession. I told everybody that I was saved. Everybody rejoiced. I wept. Seven impossible years. You know, Brian, you're not, you don't have a pharmacy anymore, but if I walked into Brian's pharmacy when he was running it, you lucky retired guy, but if I was to walk into Brian's pharmacy and just get behind the counter and say, yeah, I'm a pharmacist. Let's go. Let's get going. What a disaster. What a disaster that would be for everybody. Especially for me, because I know I'm living a lie. I know I'm poisoning people every single day. Sending them with the wrong medications, too much medication, not enough medication, whatever it might be, giving them bad advice. So here I am going around telling people, yes, I got saved. I got saved on February 4th, 1974. Yeah. Knowing in my heart, I'm not. Impossible. So what does that live uh, lead to? It leads to living as a Christian in front of Christians and living a godless life with your friends. Double life. I was godless, totally, in my heart. But I would come and sing hymns. I would say the right words. I knew enough of the Bible to quote the right scriptures. I had nothing. I was miserable, absolutely miserable every day. I think... I think my, my, excuse me, I think my aunts, I'm struggling with my voice a little today. My aunts and my grandmother kind of could see this because they continued to pray. So then I went off to university, study science, made a decision then. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done with religion. I want nothing to do with this. In fact, there was a gentleman from a local church here who, who, the last person you would ever expect, if John Wells was here, I'd throw out his name, but I'm not going to throw out his name because John Wells is not here to throw his head back and laugh out loud, because he would. This guy, the most unlikely person to ever do this, he walked all the way through the residence and all the filth that he heard and everything else to come to my door and said, open the door. Nobody knocks on your door in residence. I mean, you're just in and out of everybody's room all the time. I opened the door and I said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm here to pick you up, take you to a gospel meeting. I said, I'm not going. He said, 
I'm here to get you. I said, no, I'm not going. I don't, you don't understand. I'm not going. You wasted your time. I felt so bad. Such a nice gentleman. I felt so bad. But that's where I had, I had gone. I, I started living a godless life in every possible way. Got into sins that I, I didn't want to be in, but I still got into it. I tried to enjoy it as much as I could. In the back of my mind, I still feared God. I still knew. I still knew what I was doing was wrong. Nobody had to tell me that. And so I believed that there was a God and I would need to be right with him or I would end up in hell forever. Uh, but the university did a, a, an awful thing to me. It, I was deceived very, very quickly. That science rules. I kind of came to that point. Science rules. Man, I'm learning so much. Look at the knowledge that I'm picking up here. I believe the Bible was true, but kind of so is evolution. But you've got to have God in the factor with evolution because there is God, and I know that. And, and, and I've got to mix all this together. I remember I, I, I enrolled in a course that was required for what I was studying. It was called evolutionary biology. Now, what in the world would I want to do with evolutionary biology? But I sit in there, and what else would I expect? But the, the, Brian, you may have taken that course. I don't know it, Dal. But, yeah, this gentleman that was the prof said, I want to start off and tell you something here. We will not be entertaining anybody who has the notion that God created life. I went from there to the registrar's office and dropped the course. An unbelieving, partying university student decided, I can't handle that because I know he's wrong. In my heart, I cannot sit through a whole year of that knowing that he's wrong. So I dropped the course. Instead, I took paleontology. <laughs> so, so it didn't take too long for that to work on my heart. And as time went on, I just went down a, a, a spiral to the point that I just didn't know what to believe anymore. My heart was darkened. I put this verse up. Even though they knew God, huh? Even though they knew God, I knew of God. They did not honor God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. I'm not talking about my professors. I'm talking about me. That's what this verse is about. It's about me. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image, uh, uh, for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. I was so fascinated with science that I just laid aside everything I believed about God. And then it started to hit me. What about God? What about God? I've got to do something. I've got to be able to at some day stand before God and not be told to go there. Where there's weeping, gnashing of teeth, separated forever. I know that's coming. How do I deal with that? Well, I considered converting to Judaism. Believe it or not, I really, uh, this is how darkened, how quickly. I thought, if I convert to Judaism, then God cannot hold me accountable for anything in the New Testament. And therefore, therefore, heaven obeyed one Mosaic law, by the way, but, but therefore, because I'm not accountable to the New Testament now, I can argue with God, like, you know, he's, he's a judge, but I'll be a great lawyer, and I'll stand up and tell him, hey, but I, I converted to Judaism. Well, you put that New Testament away. Now, you imagine... Being that darkened in your heart. Hmm. I had a friend who tried to 
won't be into Catholicism. He says, all you got to do, man, is just show up and they'll get you there. Huh? That's what he said. I said, okay. Okay, I went to Mass twice with him and I said, this isn't going to work. And then I thought in my warped mind, somehow I am going to close the deal with God before I die. I will get saved the way I'm supposed to be saved. I'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, but I'll do that just before I die. Yeah. How do you know when that's going to happen? You don't. I became so taken up with science, I started to question everything, and I realized that science couldn't bring any meaning to life either. Do you know why? Because I kept running across these words, and it hit me every time I ran across them. Words like perhaps, may have, believed to be. Geology's full of that. What happened here? Well, we believe perhaps, maybe, this happened, and then this might have been thrust over that, and there may have been nearby volcanic activity that drove some mud flows through here. Oh, okay. So we don't know for sure. Well, it looks like that. The model represents that. Oh, okay. Hey, what about this fossil? Well, that fossil may have been put there by may have. There's no answers here. Nobody's telling me anything. This happened. This is how it works. Whew. So here I am, partying, studying, lost, and I know it. Very much like the people we encounter on Spring Garden Road and Argyle Street. Very much like them. It, I, I cannot bring myself to ever look down on the people that you try to reach on the streets. 40 years ago, I would have been there. I would have been one of the ones. I would have been one of the ones that said, yeah, I grew up in a home. I know what you're saying is true. I know all of this, but I just can't believe. Leave me alone. I'm just going into the bar. That would have been me 40 years ago. Then all of a sudden, I thought something's happening here. Something is going on. I didn't put it in my notes here, but I uh, <coughs> went out to visit my, my aunt in Vancouver. And uh, 1979, I think it was. And when I was out there, believe it or not, I was in the same church where a little, a little eight-year-old John Wells would have been going to Sunday school. Believe it or not, that, that John Wells would have been there with his parents. And the group of young people went to a place called Cultus Lake, and they would go up there and have a little time of testimony and singing together. There was a great mass of them. And I sat there with my heart just bursting. I thought, I want to be like them. This is joy. I want what they have. How can I get it? And I almost stood up and said, like, somebody tell me how I can have what you have. But I didn't do it. And I came back and I pondered that. I thought, this is, there's something about this, this is for real. Well, my two sisters came to Christ that summer, the next summer, rather. And I'm in a relationship now with somebody. Sorry, Esther, to tell you this. <laughs> but I'm in a relationship with somebody. And my sisters, now filled with this new zeal as new Christians, invite her and I, and I say, I'm not going, to go out and hear the gospel. And she says, I'll go. I'm going, oh my goodness. Oh. oh. You're about to go from Mrs. Wright to Mrs. Wright now. So <laughs> this is going to be, this is not going to be good. You're going to go to this. You're going to get saved, and now I'm going to be in trouble. I can just see this coming. She came back from that. 
she said to me, she said, we got to talk. And I said, uh-oh, uh-oh. And I'm thinking, she gets saved? And she said, I said, so what did you think? And she said, that was the most ignorant garbage I ever heard in my whole life. And if we ever get married and have kids, they will never hear that message. They will never set foot in that place. I thought, ooh, it's over. I'm not saved, but it's over because that's the truth of God. That's the truth of God, and you're calling it garbage. It's over, and it was over. So that's when things started to happen. I end up with a summer job in what was then called the Northwest Territories. That's why I drew that line that you might be able to see up to this place up, up here. This is where it gets interesting for me, but probably not for you because the time is going by. So these guys that you see here, who are they? They were my roommates in that room who are the guys standing there, the tent. We stayed in a tent with a wood, how dangerous is this? A tent with an oil stove in the middle of the room made out of canvas that was like 100 years old that was just like, I'm, I'm sure it would, it would burn in a microsecond. And so we're staying in this, in this thing and, and, and this young guy right here, his name is Ian, Ian McGinnis. And I look over one night and I said, hey kid, he was the, the, cook, the camp cook's help. We were up there looking for uranium. And he said, yeah. I said, you're reading the Bible. He goes, yeah, I am. And I said, hey, good for you. And the other guy, David McLeod, from London, Ontario, says, yeah, I meant to bring my Bible up. I thought, I have time on my hands while I'm up here. I was going to bring a Bible and try to read through the Bible. I said, do you go to church or like, do you have an interest in the Bible? No, I just thought it'd be kind of cool to read through it. I said, well, you know what? I packed one for good luck here in my bag. I did. I really did. I thought, just in case. This, remember, I'm going to close a deal with God before I die. If I get in a helicopter crash, I hope I can get to that Bible. <laughs> so I get it. I open it up, and I'm thinking, here's this blue Bible. I said, that's not, my, that's not the one I packed. Where did this come from? I said, hey, bud, have at her. Just give it back to me at the end of the summer. All right. He opens it up, opens the front fly leaf of the thing and where the, you know, the presented to by, presented to David McDonald by David McLeod, his name, <laughs> in the Bible. And he goes, whoa, whoa, what's this, a joke? And I said, what do you mean? He says, my name is in here. I said, your name? He says, oh, yeah, yeah. The president of the Gideons at the time was a personal friend of my dad's. His name was David McLeod. In fact, my first name, David, is after David McLeod, my dad's childhood buddy. So here's this kid, he's, he, or this young guy, he's 20-something, like me, and he says, my name's in this Bible. I said, well, you can't have it, but you've got to give it back to me. But it, uh, so I explained the story to him. So he said, you know, it would be really cool. He said, did you, you said you have another Bible? I said, mm, yeah, I did pack one. Yeah, I've got this blue Schofield one. And he said, why don't we just, like, it would be a lot quicker if we just all read out loud. We just take one chapter each and we go around the room and read it out loud. Okay, I'm good with that. Whatever. We got time, and the sun's up all night long. It's the Arctic. So we start reading through. Here's where this guy comes in. Whoops. The unknown missionary. His name is Sam Nagy. Sam Nagy is an Inuit guy from Baker Lake. Sam was there listening with his brother, I think it was his brother, or his good friend Victor, two Inuit guys sitting there. 
And we're reading through, and we start reading about Noah and the ark and the flood, and he said, well, that's really cool. I've never heard that from your book of legends before. He said, you have a book of legends. That's really cool. Or he didn't use the word cool because we used something else back then. He said, groovy. (laughs) Groovy or swell or whatever it was. (laughs) But he probably said it in Inuit, so I didn't understand it. Anyway, he said, he said, I have, we have a story just like that in our, in our traditions. And I said, you do? Yeah, well, tell me about it. So he told this story. Okay, that's, that's too identical to be a coincidence. You've never heard this before? No. But you've heard that one before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Parents told that when we were children. Hmm. Maybe there's something to all of this. Maybe there's something real in all of this. I thought, this is amazing. I return from there. I'm going to party through my final year. I even, I'm only going to take four courses instead of five, so I get that extra one and a half hours of lecture time to party through the last year of school at Dow. I'm going to move in with these guys in Fenwick Tower, on the same floor, by the way, as where Yunnan lives. Same floor, the other end of the hall. I had a tear on my cheek when I, when I came off the elevator that night, thinking about that was where I lived. I looked right at the door. I was going to move in with these guys, and we were going to party. Just before that, I get this call from this guy. says, hey, my name's Dave McGraw. You don't know me. My dad works with your dad, but I know your sister. Oh, yeah, what do you want? I want a roommate. I need a roommate that doesn't smoke. What do you mean? I'm in Fenwick Tower. I need a roommate that doesn't smoke, and I heard that you don't smoke. Yeah, I don't smoke. Uh, where do you live? He told me, right next door to the guys I was going to move in with and party my face off for the year. I thought, hey, this guy, if he knows my sister, might probably knows her from church, he'd be a quiet guy. I can study there and party next door. I only had to walk out the hallway and into the next thing. I never made it into the next door apartment, by the way. So I moved in with Dave. First night, we were in this room, Fenwick Towers. I'm in one, one bed. He's in the bed on the other side. First thing he does. I, I'm telling you, this guy's bold as Dick Tracy at the time. Opens up his Bible. <sighs> yeah, I still have that blue Bible. <clears throat> Pull out the bottom drawer, get the, get the blue Bible out. All right. If I go long-winded, by the way, I'm not offended if anybody leaves. <laughs> so, so I pull up the bottom drawer and I start reading. And he says, hey, buddy boy, where are you reading? Uh, Luke. <laughs> what are you reading about? I don't know, uh, just, uh, just starting. So the first part, that part with all the begats and begots and stuff. And he says, oh, okay, that's cool. You ever think about heaven? Uh, in what way? Oh, it's going to be so great, isn't it? He's treating me like I'm a Christian. He's talking to me, and, I, and I'm listening to him. I just listen and listen and listen and listen. I'm thinking, this guy's interesting. He's interesting. He's irritating, but he's interesting. And then, you know, I met all of his friends. Like, I'm reading the Bible competitively with this guy, and I re- meet all his friends, and I'm going, whoa, whoa, what a happy bunch. I mean, happy in the good sense, not whacked. But they love Jesus, and they're serious about it. They, like, they really do. I've not met people like this before, so I thought. I said, 
okay, what do they have? Like, what is it? That, what, what, what's going on here? Why are they so enthusiastic about this? Ah, my best friend got saved at the same time. My best friend. Last of my friends. My Jewish friends were going to get saved before Doug, Doug was. That, that's the way I always felt. My sister led him to Christ. He comes down to Halifax. He says, I've got to take you out for a coffee. I said, yeah, let's go. We went over to Quinpool Road when the Tim Hortons used to be there. Sat on the stools. I, if the building was still there, I could take you right to the spot. And he said, I've got to tell you what happened to me. I said, I know what happened to you. Remember the letter you wrote me? He said, yeah. He wrote me a letter told me his testimony. I took the letter to the bar and read it to our friends so we could have a laugh at our, new, uh, at our old friend who's become religious. And we just had a great laugh over that. And I said, look, you know what? I, you, you wrote to me and told me what's going on. He goes, let me tell you. Let me tell you right to your face, man. I got to tell you to your face. I said, all right. So he tells me to, to my face. He said, so what do you think? And I said, I think I need exactly what you've got. I need exactly what you've got. I think you need to pray for me. He said, all right. I already have been. And you're going to get this, man. You're going to get this. This is the way Doug would talk to you. He's right in your face. You're going to get this. And, and I loved it, of course, that he's, he's doing this. You don't hear very often somebody come to you and say, pray that I get this, do you, Warren? Not too many people come up to you on the street and say, I know what you've got and it's wonderful and I want it. Please pray for me that I get it. I, I, I don't even know where those words came from, but they burst out of me to, to Doug. So then I go home for the holidays my roommate shows up at my door the first Sunday morning, nine o'clock in the morning. Hey, buddy boy. Oh, stop calling me buddy boy. He said, we're going to church. I said, no, no, no. And you promised. Remember that night we were reading back and forth and, and we're talking about this and you, and you said, yeah, you'd come to church with me? I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, sometime. He goes, you're coming today. You promised. We only have two Sundays here. Like, come on, get your stuff on. I'm going to my jeans. Come in your jeans. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm wearing my Toys R Us t-shirt. Wear your Toys R Us t-shirt. All right. Fine. I'll show them. Show them how a non-Christian dresses. <laughs> so I, I go to church with them. Breaking of bread. Breaking of bread. And I'm sitting there terrified now. I'm sitting. I was not used to being in the circle. But that's the way they did it there. You sit in the circle. I just wouldn't touch anything coming by. And I thought, okay. The way they're talking here, they really know this Lord Jesus. They love him. They are crazy about him. The stuff they're sharing, the stuff that, that the way they sing, this is different. Something different going on here. And I remember almost talking back and forth with the Lord in all of this and, and thought, what is going on? What is going on? Something's happening here. And then the message, the guy got up and spoke, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. And I thought, never a man spake like this man. I found out afterwards that the people in that church said, oh yeah, he was kind of filler that day. Like he's like our worst speaker. We just put him in when we, <laughs> when we got to fill, just like today, when you got to fill a spot on the schedule. <laughs> so, so, so this John, he was speaking, this, this guy. And I said, wow. I've never heard a message like that. Then my buddy Dave comes and says, we're going to a different church tonight. I said, oh man, like, okay, all right, I'll go. So we go to this church, this Presbyterian church, and they have a big pipe organ. Like they, they struck out three times with me that night. They had a pipe organ. Where I grew up, we didn't have any music in the church. It was not allowed. 
They sang Christmas carols. We never sang Christmas carols in church. And they stood to sing. Yikes. And nobody said standing as you're able. They just knew when that on the pipe organ, everybody got up. And I thought, this is so wrong. Oh, this is so wrong. And the man got up and spoke about the visitation to Mary by the angel. And I said, wow, I know that guy this morning was good, but never a man spake like this man. And I left there and I thought, okay, okay, I've, had, like, I've got a lot of religion today, so now what do I do? I leave there, the church that got it all wrong, and Buddy Boy says to me, let's go visit my friend John Alden. I said, oh, is he a Christian guy? He goes, yeah. I said, oh, I've kind of had enough, you know? Like, he says, he's a really cool guy. He's like you. He's a scientist. Oh, really? Well, let's go and see how much cerebral cortex we can fill the room with. So I go over. I think it's a cerebral cortex, isn't it? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, that stuff's all, by the time I look at it, it's a fossil, and that stuff's all gone. Yeah. So... So I go over to his house. That picture was taken probably within days of when I was there. Here he is with his five kids. And this guy, I mean, his face always looked like that. Always. Like just the epitome of joy. So we're sitting down and we're talking and he's trying to get to know me. And and my buddy Dave is asking all kinds of questions. And John's looking at Dave like, I thought you knew this. But anyway, okay. So he goes in. We're talking about prophecy. We're talking. Then we turn to science. We start talking about science. He's a microbiologist. I'm studying geology. And at that time, I'm studying some astronomy. And so he starts talking. And he said, I thought, wow, does this guy know his Bible? I've never met somebody who knows their Bible like this guy. The answers, the stuff that he's saying, it's amazing. And then we started talking about astronomy, and I said, you know what amazes me about astronomy? And I want you all to look at this the next time we get a, cloud, or a clear night in December, probably, because I hear it's going to be overcast for the next few days. So. But the next time you have a clear night, look out and look at all those stars and think of, you know, they look like they're close together. They are so far apart, so, so very far apart. In fact, it takes it, nine minutes for the light from the sun to get here at 300,000 kilometers per second, and that's the sun. It's so far apart. And that's just in our little home turf here. And I was talking about this. and said, the universe is so vast, and, and we're, we're sharing data back and forth, the two of us. And he says, you know what the amazing thing about all of that is? He said, the earth is so small, I don't even know how God sees it. It's so small. But he said, if I was the only person on this little speck of dust in this whole great universe, Jesus Christ would have come and died for me. What? Immediately, I started to think. I didn't need to hear that I was a sinner. I knew that. I didn't need to hear that I needed to repent. I knew that. I didn't need to hear that Jesus died on the cross. I knew that. I didn't need to hear that he died for our sins. I already knew that. I needed to realize he died for me. Now I realize that. At that moment, I bowed my head and I thanked him for dying for me. My son and my my brother-in-law were at my house last week and they were talking about their own salvation. 
And what they said, it was like a huge load was taken off of their back. Like a backpack with 100 pounds was just lifted off their back. That's exactly what I experienced that night. I felt like the biggest load has been lifted from me. I went out that night, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning to get in the car to go home. I had never seen so many stars in my life in the skies. So clear, a black sky with bright stars. Never had I seen it like that before. So that's why the sky chart that you see up here on the, on the side. Now, daughters have a way to make you cry. Right, Ime? Yeah. Sons get you mad. Daughters make you cry. <laughs> right, Warren? Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you have a favorite daughter, which I do. She's the only one. Brian, you know what I'm talking about. So a couple of years ago at Christmas, I was given this, this is a, a mock-up of what was given to me, this picture. It's a sky chart of the stars over Sydney, Nova Scotia at the moment I came to Christ. With my favorite verse on it, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And underneath that it says, and the angels of heaven rejoiced. And there's the chart. Sydney, Nova Scotia, December 20th, 1981. Well, I was a puddle for the rest of the day when I saw that. It's up prominently in my house. It's, it's, my, it's my witness on the wall. Um, so that's, that's it. That's how I came to Christ. Now, the rest of my life. That, I was only 22 then. So here you go. Now I've got 40 years to cover. <laughs> So what's next? I quickly learned some truths that I've tried to carry with me for the past 40 years. Remember, uh, what's his name, Dave Letterman had the top 10 list? So I'm going to just quickly go through these. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time. And I know the time is late and that clock is fast. First of all, I've learned that the Bible is a familiar book. But it's new each time you read it. You come to men's study. You come to lady study. You open the Bible yourself in your own room and read it. And it's funny how you read through something. I knew that story. Yeah, okay, let's go through it again. And and something will come out. A word will jump off the page. I'd never noticed that word before. You read the account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ at the breaking of bread and you say, I never noticed that before. Has that ever happened to you? After 40 years, after 30 years, after 20 years, you open the Bible and you read something and you say, I didn't notice that before. The Bible is always new. Every time you open it. The other thing I found is the answer to all the issues of life are found in the Word of God. The Scriptures, I don't even want to mention the Word, but the Scriptures will not make COVID go away, but it helps me understand that I can have hope despite COVID. It helps me understand that I can have hope in this world. I've suffered a lot of loss this year. I've lost friends, I've lost family, I've lost a job, I've lost all kinds of things this past year. But you know what? The scriptures have been a great comfort to me. They point me to my father. They point me to the one who loves me and and, and is concerned about me, who gives me the greatest hope of my life. I learned that the Lord is mine. 
and I am his, and that he will never, ever leave me. No matter what I've done, no matter what I do to somebody else, he does not leave me. He is always going to be there for me. I can walk from him, but he never walks away from me. I realized that now I had a church, family, universal, lots of believers that I met everywhere and just loved it. I had a local church family that became my family. I love being here with you. I've been here for 31 years. I love it. I love having a family here. I just love it. This is my family. I was told very early that I need to be attached and fall under the discipline of one church body. I was wandering all over the place. Hey, it's cool to go to that place. Hey, let's go to the Pentecostal church today. Hey, let's go to the Baptist church tomorrow. Hey, let's... You know what? And there's nothing wrong with that. I learned a lot of great things, made a lot of great friends. But I was, a brother came to me and says, you know what, you do need to fall under the discipline or the training of one church. It will structure your life. I learned that. He was right. It has made a huge difference in my life. I learned that Christians are far from perfect, but Christ is perfect. Don't look at people, look at Christ. People will disappoint. I will disappoint you all the time. My wife, my kids, you will disappoint me at times. Jesus Christ will never disappoint me because he's perfect. Always be growing, growing, growing. Bye. Always be growing, even if it's just a little bit. A little bit of growth is growth. I plant tomatoes. They are so slow growing in June when I put them in. I go out and I say, well, I guess it grew a little bit. But then I'm happy that it grew a little bit because if it's not, it's not going to produce any fruit. Always be growing, even if it's just a little bit. Always be teachable. The alternative is always be miserable. If you're not teachable, you will be miserable. Anything good, anything that I I am that is good is only because of God's grace. Paul the apostle recognizes. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. I look back on my, my life to this point. It's, it's too dangerous to say, you know, this is my life story. It's not because it hasn't ended. I remember Lehman Strauss saying that. He was 80 years old. And somebody said, tell us your life story. He said, I can't. It's not over yet. <laughs> but you have to, really, I mean, you got to, finishing strong, finishing strong. Gone through that book five times with the men. I'll go through it again if you want, because that's where we have to go. That's, that's the end of the journey. But my whole life is a but God story. I was this, but God. I did this, but God. That's the most important thing, but God. I did a little series on but God. The reason I did is because I just love that little phrase so much because it's so much of my life. This verse, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the, uh, the spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too formerly lived in the lust of the flesh according to the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Any of us here 
can only boast in but God, not in ourselves. I want to close with this. How can I be saved? I don't tell you this story to promote myself, not by any means, not at all. I want to point you to Jesus Christ. That's why I'm telling you this. I'm sorry I went long. I mean, it's, it's hard to stick all this in, in a short time. And, and I probably don't have to tell you this morning, if you're here, that you're a sinner. I probably don't have to tell you. Nobody had to tell me that. I knew it. If you're honest, you already know it. But just in case you don't know that, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is found just a few pages over. It says, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man one would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You could be saved this morning just just knowing that fact and understanding it and taking it for yourself. The way to be saved is not complicated. You can't earn it. It says in, it says in Romans 4, verse 4 and 5, it says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believe on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. I like what the NLT says. When people work, their wages are not a gift. Nobody comes to you on Friday or every second Friday, whatever it might be, and says, here's a gift for you. And you think, oh, man, I just put in 80 hours. <laughs> That's not a gift. No, it's a paycheck. You've earned it. Workers can earn what they receive. Or workers earn what they receive. But people are declared righteous because of their faith, not because of their work. And finally, how you are saved is very, very simple that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's not just saying, yeah, okay, all right, I'll say that Jesus is Lord. I'm saved. No. We sing the song, King of Me, with the kids. The kids love it. I love it. What you're saying, Jesus, you're King of Me. You died for me and you rose from the dead to prove that that was valid. You can be saved today if you confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that we can come together. Thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy. Thank you that we can say, those of us who are believers can say, but God, I was this, but God. I did this, but God. There was no one like you. Lord, I pray for any who may be here this morning who don't know you, that they may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you took me from being a, a lost soul, drifting, lost, away from you. And Father, in your mercy, in your grace, that you saved me. That's the story of every person here who knows Jesus Christ. It's no different. And I pray if there's anybody here today who does not know you, Lord, that they would be in the first part of that verse, the ones who believe, not the ones who do not believe. Thank you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. amen. Is it too late to sing one song? No, okay. Rescuer?